0: Blog
1: Talk Radio. Cases of young people being abused in American prisons have been detailed in a troubling year report. We're going to show you next uh, the treatment endured by one teenager referred to simply as Jamie in the report coming up. You may find some of the pictures in this video upsetting there. Well, Jamie was put in an adult prison at the age of 17 for what was apparently a non-serious offense. Lawyers say that's virtually unheard of, with teenagers usually sentenced to community service for such crimes. Women convicted of first-degree murder are also held at that facility among other inmates. It's part of a letter next that we're going to show you sent to her lawyer describing the incident that you have just seen.
2: Then I was gassed and pulled out of the segregation cell. I couldn't breathe and I was choking. I tried to sit up and I was choking and coughing and spit flew out of my mouth on the officer. The officer wrote me a staff assault due to this.
1: The incident took place in June 2012 and was documented in the guard's log book. It reads that around 3 p.m. on June the 5th, the prisoner was heard screaming and banging her head against the wall. The guard's it was giving him a headache. Jamie was then extracted from his cell and restrained. In another incident, she claims she was left in restraints for four days.
2: I was placed in five-point restraint for four days and I urinated on myself because I wasn't allowed to use the bathroom. They took me off restraints and took me to the shower and cleaned my room but did not allow me to shower and then placed me back on restraints.
3: Ladies
4: and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio and tonight we continue... Voices from behind the wall, but tonight we're going to deal with something a lot more serious even than that. Voices from the grave, those who have died behind the wall,
5: whether it be suicide, whether it be murder, uh, called suicide, whatever you want to say,
4: Voices from the Grave tonight on Voices from Behind the Wall. This is AJC Radio. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and our newly added addition, who we're very happy to have, Sampson Riddle, uh, here again tonight. And indefinitely, And we're happy to have you, Sapsen. Uh And, folks, this seems to be something that um, we have to deal with. There's a lot of things that, that as you've heard over the last few weeks, uh, in regards to the abuse behind the wall, a lot of people have died. Uh, And they were saying things that before they died. What was their state of mind? Those that committed suicide, what drove them to that fact? What drives officers, whether it's in county jails or prisons, to falsify reports in order to make it look like a suicide, yet in reality, someone was murdered? And I'm telling you, uh, the story continues to grow larger and larger. Samson, as we get ready to get into this, uh, your thoughts on something this horrific? Uh, we're gonna, of course, we're going to have clips. We're going to be joined uh, at the bottom of the hour by 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 uh, George Manilkrat, I believe, if I'm saying that right. uh is going to be joining us tonight as well at the bottom of the hour. And we're going to be uh, addressing uh, hearing from him. He, he has a, uh, some definitely insight on this topic. Samson, your thoughts on this one?
6: I think it's just there's been too many shows that we've gone through time after time, week after week, where we're hearing about the mistreatment. Of these people behind the wall, whether it be, you know, they haven't even been brought up on charges at county jail. They're just detainees to like um, youngsters being put in adult prisons. I mean, there are far too many people dying behind the wall, whether it be by cover up, by suicide, by whatever. Uh, that's just going without explanation, without anyone being held accountable. And I hope that this show, along with uh, our many others, is going to shed some light on this uh, this subject and get people to act, get people to open, the, open their mouths and let their voice out. Hey Dennis, your thoughts?
5: Yeah, as you can see, I mean, we, we've been talking about this for a little while, but, uh, you know, the leading uh, cause of death in prisons is uh, suicide. And uh, when we talk about small, ch- you know, younger children, I mean, it, it's very difficult to cope with the changes uh, that they see in prison, especially when uh, you've got not only the inmates, but you've got to worry about the uh, correctional officers. So well. uh, I think tonight, I mean, we, we're going to open some eyes. We're going to let some people know. Uh, that we got a problem in our justice system regardless of whether it's, uh, you know, teen correctional centers or whether it's uh, putting teens in prisons or, you know, whatever is going on with our, our, our young uh, people when they, you know, get put in a situation like this, uh, get put in our justice system, that we got to make sure people understand uh, they're, they're being treated unfairly as, as you know, as well.
4: And, well, even to add to that, the death toll. Uh, none of these people were given death sentences when they went into the family or the county jail. Why are they dying at alarming rates? Why are people dying? Why are people uh, with a two year sentence in the case of Michael Anderson at the Florence prison camp? Why in the world would he take his life with two years to go and talking to his family about coming home? Wow. Doesn't stand a yes. reason. Doesn't make any sense. And because they're not being held accountable and, and they're doing exactly what they want to do. Uh, this continues to be out of control, uh, so we're going to get into those discussions tonight as well, uh, and again, feel free to dial in tonight to 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. Uh, William, your thoughts on this one?
7: Well, you know, we've we've talked a lot about those that have uh, died, and we really need to wake up. The thing is is that,
4: like you said, they didn't go in with the
7: death sentence, but people are playing games with them, and some of them are that, that, you know, suicide is their only way out. There is no hope. Some of them have been, um, you know, put in situations where uh, basically it's fight club situations that are going on. People are, are, are dying based on, you know, rewards of honey buns and things like that. So we really need to wake up and understand that, you know, it's sad. I mean, we just had Khalid Browder's son, uh, excuse me, brother, Akeem, uh, a week or so back, and he was talking about, you know, his brother committed suicide over the fear of going back to Rikers Island. And, and when you think about he spent, I believe it was three years, correct, and, and a significant amount of that in, in solitary confinement. The fear of going back led this man to take his life. And that's, that's very serious. I mean, that is extremely serious, that the possible outcome would take me to a place that I don't ever want to go again. So my only way out of this is to take my own life. And and you could only imagine this is a man that's outside fearing going back. What happens what if you were inside and you fe- the fears that you're dealing with, like you said with Mr. Anderson, what he was facing, you know, fear of his life, and all of a sudden dead. He had a lot to look forward to. His family was looking to reunite. They knew they had two years left. He was looking to build uh, to reunite with his wife and his son. A lot to look forward to and then now turn up dead and it's not we really need to wake up and understand that these prison camps are not intended to keep people well there's there's poor food there's poor health care and then you got the the guards in there that's just playing games as if they're gods with people's lives and it's sad
4: no absolutely right and i agree with the assessment on that uh It's something that that people are not paying attention to. That's why we must be the voice for those that no longer have one, literally, because they're no longer here. Uh, Last year, 35 inmates were executed nationwide. During the same period, 10 times as many inmates died in Florida's prison system alone uh, by means other than lethal injection. Unfortunately, deaths in prison are common. For Florida, a record 346 prisoners died while behind bars in 2014 alone. 346 prisoners. That's that's unacceptable. Uh, many came to light from a series in the Miami Herald. The stories documented a pattern of inhumane treatment, abuse, and unexplained inmate deaths. As a result, the Florida legislation began to investigate. Several prison guards testified at legislative hearings about the stressful conditions they are forced to endure daily. According to National Public Radio, corrections officer Timothy Butler said, Staff shortages and a lack of communication with the administration have made the prisons unsafe for inmates and guards. It's to the point, he said, where that if I was to walk down on a compound, I feel scared. I don't even know where we have enough people on there to help. Ohio and Pennsylvania in 2012, there were 157 deaths in Ohio jails and prisons and 215 deaths in Pennsylvania jails and prisons. According to the Department of Justice Bureau of Justice Statistics, Nine hundred and fifty-eight inmates died while was in the custody of local jails in twenty twelve. Nine hundred and fifty-eight people died with the presumption of innocence. What are they dying in these jails for? Voices from
7: the grave, and 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 that's key. They they are in jail. They haven't been sentenced. I mean, you know, they haven't gone to they haven't gone to to, to trial, and they are in the custody of a. Uh, you know, the, the state local government, and now
4: they're dead. State prisons reported 3,351 deaths in 2012. The mortality rate increased 2% from 260 deaths per 100,000 state prisoners in 2011 to 264 per 100,000 in 2012. Florida has the nation's third largest prison population, with more than 100,000 men and women behind bars due to the budget cuts totaling nearly a half a billion dollars conditions in Florida state prison have been impacted by staff shortages, declining services to inmates and deteriorating infrastructure, all of which create a dangerous and often deadly condition for inmates and frightening work environment for staff. Do you believe that? I mean, those numbers, uh, and I'm wondering when when we begin to go over those numbers, what numbers are we missing? How many I mean that is an alarming amount of people you don't have that many people dying in the communities in which you live
6: yeah absolutely I mean if we if we apply those numbers and we apply that scenario to any other any other any other area of our society there would be an instant outcry there would be an instant outpouring um, of emotion of just people picketing, protesting, maybe even If You're talking about nearly a 1000 people in in a community and they're going to die within a year's time frame. They're, every law enforcement, every law-abiding citizen would be out their house demanding justice. But because it's behind a wall, because people are covering it up and because you know these different institutions or companies wherever are getting billions and multi-million dollar contracts to quote unquote take care of these people. They're just getting swept under the rug because they're not, again, they may not even be convicted. They may not even gone to trial yet, but because they're behind a wall and they've been given a number, they're not treated as second class, and somehow society is convinced that these people's lives mean less, and that's just simply not true.
4: Oh, absolutely correct. Nationwide, Florida is not alone. American jails and prisons hold more than 2.4 million people, according to the Prison Policy Initiative. Those inmates are scattered among seventeen hundred and nineteen state prisons, one hundred and two federal prisons, two thousand two hundred and fifty nine juvenile correctional facilities, three thousand two hundred and eighty three local jails, and seventy nine Indian country jails, plus in military prisons, immigration detention facilities, and civil commitment centers. Uh, we're going to get more into that, more into those numbers. This is highly troubling. as tonight we are we, we continue the voices from behind the wall. Tonight, those that have died, and we're going we're to dig deeper as we try to find out the answers why so many people are dying and what are they saying before they die in regards to the conditions of this nation's prisons and jails. We're going to deal with it on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% That is a just cause, and we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today.
8: And rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help.
0: white guys here are 50 black guys here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime the chances amount to one out of 17. now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing the chances are one out of three why lots of reasons it's complicated but one thing is clear there's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system when blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes blacks are more likely to be arrested Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes? 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime.
9: Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings. Even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage. And even after Richard battled alcoholism for years. They each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call.
10: Picture this,
2: a 75-year-old man convicted of murder waiting for his trial to finally go through. He's been on death row for 25 years now and finds out he's been wrongfully convicted and is completely innocent. Not only does this mean that 25 years of his life have been spent in jail
10: for no reason, but that the actual murderer could still be out there right now. The bad thing is that this
2: exact thing happens more often than you think, but you can help stop it by supporting our campaign to abolish the death penalty.
4: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Voices from behind the wall and voices from the grave tonight. Those that have died, and we look into some of those cases tonight and exactly why. And those voices have been silenced permanently because of what is going on and what is being hidden from the American people. Uh, This is an outrage, and I'm putting that mildly. These people... Not only those who have been killed, the numbers that we have stated uh, prior to the break, the number of people that are dying and their unexplained deaths, which means there is question trying to figure out how these people died. We know Sergeant Brown went into custody, uh, a veteran, to do a weekend in county jail. He never made it out alive. Uh, His voice tonight will be heard. Uh, The voices of those who have died are the voices that we're going to deal with tonight from behind the wall. Why did they die? Why are young people dying behind the wall of these institutions? And why is no one being held accountable? Uh, As jails and prisons burst at the seams, it's evident the United States is not just leading the world in incarceration rates, but that men and women are dying in prison at an unprecedented rate. Florida is ground zero for prison-related deaths, but certainly not alone in this crisis. Julia Jones recently appointed Florida's corrections secretary by by Governor Rick Scott is the seventh head of the Department of Corrections in the last eight years. Jones believes the legislature and the media are making too much of the number of inmate deaths. Let me stop right there. Can you tell me how folks are making too much? How did that come out of your mouth? If it's one life that died, as a result of abuse, um, that's one too many. And this is why the culture remains what it is. You're appointing people that are questioning. Why are people asking questions? If it was your mother, if it was your sister, your brother, I guarantee you, will have questions. But because it's not right at home, we. It's, it's like people have become callous. Why are people making such a big deal about the number of deaths that came out of a human being's mouth?
6: Yeah, Lamont, and I think uh, something that Will alluded to during the break is that like it seems like once people put on the orange, once they're given a number, that their life is worth less than someone who hasn't been behind bars or isn't behind the wall or anything else like that, who isn't in the system in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And the, the fact of the matter is, like, there is no appreciation. There is no, sa- uh, you know, sacredness of human life anymore, especially for those that, that have had to go through the the injustice system. I mean, it's just, it's not right. And, again, like you stated, I mean, people aren't going to take note and raise their voices so it comes knocking on their front door. And when that happens, then everybody wants to get out and have an outcry. And then they want to go and say something. But until that happens and until we join together as – and a national community and bring this to light, it, we're not going to get any action. We're not going to get any foothold in this.
4: And the issue is, she goes on further to say, I would submit to you, if you look at the raw numbers, it tells you, oh, my gosh, we have a problem. She told NPR, if you drill in, the actual stats don't portray it's a crisis.
5: Cliff, how is the
11: loss of any life not an issue? <laughs> yep. I mean, that is that's the first question on the table if people are dying how is that not something that needs to be taken up researched uh there needs to be a study done. you have i mean in essence you have an epidemic going on but there's there's no plague there's no disease there's no wild animals coming in uh you know preying on humans people are dying and if you don't have the reason if you have not come to a conclusion that this is the reason that we're losing life you need to find that reason and when you find it you need to eradicate it they you're telling me that a, a human life is is less than what you would do on a farm if you had a poultry farm and you say okay The chickens are dying for some reason. We got some type of epidemic that are killing them off. They will spend millions of dollars, at least hundreds of thousands, to find out what's going on. Why did we lose a thousand chickens last month? And, you know, and there doesn't seem to be a reason for it. They're not going to even say that, you know, you never see somebody go on a farm and say, okay, well, uh, we lost some poultry or or we lost some, some hogs or some turkeys. They are going to dig into why that happened. So you're you cannot tell me that if you get the uh, epidemic of humans dying, no matter where they're at, especially if you have them in an enclosed place, that that needs to be looked into. You need to find out the answer. And how is your response? Well, this is not really an epidemic. It's not really a problem that we have this many deaths. This is just, you know, part of what happens. These are these are not you know expendable just items. This is not this is not things that you throw away. This is human life and for anybody to make that type of statement, that is sick. She need she needs psychiatric evaluation and if nothing
4: else she needs to be uh, relieved from her duties there at whatever that facility is. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh and for whatever reason, this governor appointed uh, this lady to the uh, to be the, the correction secretary uh, is unbelievable. Uh, because if that's what if, if that's that if that's how you go in to a crisis, you immediately you haven't been there one day, and you start excusing the conduct and the and say, well, it's no big deal that is a culture problem and if the governor appoints someone like that to the state department of corrections to oversee prisons in the state then he needs to he needs to resign his position as governor because if that is what you put in office if that is who you select i have to tell you what does that say about you as a governor sir because somebody's not vetted. somebody's not vetted. what conversation did you have with this julie jones to say wait a minute How do you feel about injustice? You know why they're not going to ask that question? They don't care. I'm not talking about all of them. you got some true governors and leaders in this country who care, who are fighting for reform to change these things. But for the ones that are not, look at the impact. These are lives that are being lost as a result of someone simply not caring. And I don't care what face you try to put on it. It's ugly. It's ugly. Last fall, her predecessor fired, this is Julie Jones, her predecessor fired 32 guards in the wake of an investigation into inmate deaths. Former Florida Department of Corrections Secretary Michael Cruz dismissed the guards after an investigation of inmate deaths at four prisons. All of them had been accused of criminal misconduct or wrongdoing in the inmates' deaths. So this, her predecessor was trying to say, we have to get you out of here. You come in and say exactly the opposite of what needs to be done. That is absolutely horrific, unacceptable. We're going to talk more about that. Right now, um, we're going to be joined by George. Uh, I believe it's Malin Crot. If I'm not pronouncing that right, George, please correct me and, and accept my apologies. I believe that is George, are you with us?
10: You got it right. I, I think after having me on so many times, you, you finally <laughs> nailed it.
4: I got it down. Thank you, George. Uh, we appreciate yeah. you coming back on our show. And uh, your expertise is very much appreciated in this discussion. We've started this series, Voices from Behind the Wall, uh, addressing the horrific actions. Tonight we're dealing with those that have died, uh, not only behind prison walls, but in county jails. I read the numbers. I don't know if you heard them earlier Uh, over-the-top insanity, the number of people that are dying in county jails, in prisons, and people that are not even necessarily locked up for a long period of time. Uh, They're dying at an alarming rate, unprecedented, as this article I was reading states. People are dying at an unprecedented rate. George, introduce yourself to our listeners if you can, and I want to get your your perception on on what what we're talking about
10: here. Right. I'm George Malincrad. I worked as a psychotherapist in a Florida state prison psychiatric ward for three years and uh, patients on my caseload were being brutalized by guards. Uh, In fact, one man was uh, beaten. Actually he was handcuffed in by four or five guards uh, in a room with no cameras. And, and there was an eyewitness to it as well. Um, I tried to stand up for my patients, and I, I was fired two months later. And uh, after that, I thought, okay, I'm going to wash my hands of this whole prison thing because it was, it was a very bad experience for me. And that's when I heard about Darren Rainey getting yes. scalded to death by guards. Darren Rainey was a a man who suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. So he was severely mentally ill. And when I was there, we would have um, uh, schizophrenics that suffered from a a variety of of, uh, self-defeating behaviors. One of my patients is actually eating his own feces. In the case of Darren Rainey, he was spreading feces around his cell. And so the guards, uh, Roland uh, Clark and Cornelius Thompson, put him in a specially rigged shower and turned it up to the hottest water temperature, which may have been as high as 180 degrees. And they scalded this man to death. And here's the thing about uh, these deaths that happen behind prison. It's very rare that anybody is held accountable. And in Darren Rainey's case, both of the guards, were never indicted. Our uh, local state attorney, Catherine Fernandez Rundle, dropped the ball on that. The coroner decided that uh, Darren Rainey didn't die from being scalded to death, but he died from schizophrenia, which is a a total whitewash. And the only way that that Darren Rainey or, or his family really got any justice is they had to sue the state of Florida and the guards and the warden and Horizon health for a wrongful death. And I was uh, deposed for eight hours. uh, um, And uh, the, the attorneys for those, those four concerns I mentioned just, you know, tried to get me upset, tried to get me riled up and they didn't have a chance. and, I would have been a crucial witness because I could have spoken to a pattern of ongoing abuse and also the fact that I reported it and administrators did nothing. The uh, psychologist that ran the program for Horizon Health never lifted a finger. Uh, Warden Cummings, whom I spoke to directly face-to-face did nothing And it's it's only by suing, in some cases, does anybody get any kind of justice because there's very little accountability at the state and the county level.
11: And George, I mean, speaking of the Darren Rainey case, I mean, Mm. you look at you look at all the things that happened. You look at all the people that you know. In this case, when you say got away with murder, it's not just a you know, uh, an analogy. This actually happened. You also got the state attorney, uh, Rundle, who, uh, you know, with her conclusion between her and the the uh, coroner, the the that comes up with the autopsy, saying that the skin damage that was done to Darren Rainey that, that wasn't caused by, uh, you know, water damage. That wasn't caused by uh, scalding. So I don't know how else you get you know, boiled flesh unless you use scald and hot water. I don't know how they come to that conclusion. But you look at this and you say, okay, if this is not a conspiracy and a cover-up, then what other word could you use for it? And then why then does the state settle with the Rainey family, but nobody has to take accountability for it? Nobody – uh, is is held accountable? Nobody has to answer. Nobody is brought up on charges. But yet, there's a settlement for wrongful death. But everybody gets off scot free, and the state's attorney who was supposed to bring the charges says, "Oh no, he wasn't the the, the skin damage wasn't due to scalding." So how how do they explain what actually happened to Darren Rainey's body?
10: You know, I conspiracy is a good word for it because. I mean, it, 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 there's no other explanation. I don't know how they got together on this thing, but um, when you look at the result, you can't help but to draw that conclusion. And the the thing that's frustrating to me is about three years ago, the Department of, Ju- of Justice uh, declared that they were opening a criminal investigation into Darren Rainey's death. That was over three years ago. Nothing's happened there either. So, you know, this is just frustration on top of frustration. And then, then you hear these statements coming from uh, Julie Jones, who's the secretary of the uh, Florida department of corrections. And you listen to her, her and you think that jail is – or prison, really, is a safe place and the guards are doing a great job and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And I know it's not true. I have uh, brothers, sisters, mothers who have loved ones on the inside, and I'm in communication with these people, and they're telling me it's it's uh, business as usual on the inside, Uh, inmates are are still being beaten by guards and brutalized by guards and if an inmate should speak up like let's say speak up uh, about a drug ring that's run by guards that inmate's life is in jeopardy immediately and the guards will get other inmates to kill the inmate that's voicing concerns and and you know, then they can just say, well, the guards didn't kill him. This, this crazy guy did. Uh, you know, and, it, and there's so many ways that they get away with this stuff. Um, the, you know, and you mentioned the, the title of my book, Getting Away With Murder. When I titled the book, and this is long before everything was exposed, I thought, no way they can get away with murder. And yet they did. Uh,
4: No, and and that's something that uh, has to change. Uh, George, I'm going to play a clip real quick. We're going to come back and get your thoughts on it. Let's hear the clip. Okay.
7: Today, the FBI said that it will monitor the investigation into a woman's death in a Texas jail. She was arrested after a traffic stop, but a few days later she was dead. Sherry Williams of our CBS affiliate in Houston, KHOU, is following this.
12: 28 year old Sandra Bland, an Illinois native, had just moved to Texas to start a new job. Last Friday afternoon, she was pulled over for reportedly failing to signal a lane change. Police say she then kicked the officer getting out of the car. She was then held in custody on $5,000 bail. Three days later, she was dead, found hanging in her cell. The medical examiner's office ruled her death a suicide. But Bland's family says she had no reason to kill herself. Her sister, Shannon Cooper. It is unimaginable and, and difficult for us to wrap our minds around the Sandy
0: that we knew.
12: Prosecutors say at 7 a.m. Monday, a deputy brought her breakfast but never entered her cell. An hour later, Bland talked by intercom to another deputy, asking if she could make a phone call. At approximately 9.07 a.m., she was found hanging in her cell. Waller County District Attorney Elton Mathis.
7: The death of Miss Sandra Bland will not be swept
12: under the rug,
7: that there will be no one who is protected,
12: Sandra Bland was vocal in her views on perceived police aggression. She often posted video diaries on social media. You can't tell me that the law doesn't see color. But in one posting from March, she revealed she was battling her own demons. I am suffering from something that some of you all may be dealing with right now. It's a little bit of depression as well as PTSD. The Texas Rangers have launched an independent investigation into what happened to Sandra Bland here at the jail. And Scott, the district attorney, says surveillance video from inside the jail could be released as early as Monday.
7: Sherry Williams of KHOU reporting for us tonight. Sherry, thank you. And late today, the Texas Department of Public Safety told us that traffic stop procedures were violated in this case, and one of the officers involved has been reassigned
5: to a desk job.
4: Well, there you have it—the senseless death of Sandra Bland, Uh, and it started as a traffic stop. She had just received Cliff when we talked earlier; uh, had get got uh, actually had received a new job offer, uh, was excited about moving uh, back uh, to where her her college university was, and was excited. wasn't even facing. For a traffic ticket? And if you look at the video, and this is why we talk about voices from the grave. She spoke before she died. Uh, and then the questions, it's amazing how many questions are raised after someone dies to say, what? That's not, and they'll say, well, she did this. She committed suicide. And the family comes on and says, that's not Sandra. She wouldn't have done that. Getting ready to get a new job? She just had accepted the offer. And you, you want us to believe that when, and the cop was so out of line when he stopped her. And dra- I believe dragged her out the car and had her on the ground, and she's screaming, Leave, let go of me. What are you doing? In my opinion, that officer should be held accountable in the, in the death of Ms. Bland. Period. Your treatment of this woman. Your stop of this woman, and I forget, and we're going to find out exactly what the traffic violation was, but I know one thing, it was minor.
6: Go ahead, Samson. Uh, yeah, I was actually just uh, following as you uh, were talking there, Lamont, and it says she was actually pulled over for failing to signal a lane change. That's when she was originally pulled over, and then she was drug out of the car because she didn't uh, put out her cigarette and did not want to get out of the uh, – the car when the trooper asked her to. Why am I getting out the car? for? Exactly. He didn't give her a good reason, but then she was then booked for assault on an officer and held on a $500, um, bail bondsman fee. And within 65 hours of her arrest, that young woman was dead. 28 years old. George, talk to us. Your thoughts.
10: Uh, that is, that is just a travesty. And, um, I don't believe anything police verbally say unless there's evidence behind it. Um, too many times in my experience, the, the guards in my unit would just make up whatever they wanted to. And um, you couldn't dispute it because uh, you had, it was sort of the, the, my patient's word against, against theirs. And here's another thing about, um suicides in prisons and jails guards are very good at killing people and making it appear as a suicide i had a a uh, a sister who had a brother in prison and um she got the call your brother's committed suicide she knew him just like Sandra Bland's family knew her and knew that he was excited about getting out. He was a, you know, he had short time as, as they call it. And, um, there was no reason that, that he would commit suicide. And, um, she read in the autopsy that the, the, his neck was broken and it was not consistent with, um, a, a suicide hanging, which sort of led to the conclusion that the guards broke his neck he 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 brought up the issue of a pill ring uh in prison, so um, they got rid of him and then they made it look like a suicide and no one's ever investigated that case and and that's what the guards do now I just want to point out here i'm I'm not like anti guard here because I worked with with some really terrific professional guards who uh, did, did really good work with my patients. And, you know, my, my, hat, my hat's off to them. But for those minority of guards, that it's, they, they look at their job description as making the inmates as miserable as they possibly can as much as they possibly can.
4: Boy, this is, this is uh, unbelievable, um, and, and I, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, Miss Bland would not be dead tonight because I didn't use my turning signal. I didn't no. use my turning signal. And then the officer provokes violence, and I saw the video. There was no reason for him to do what he did.
7: Well, even the even the account that are reading right here, they said the video that came from the controversy – of the controversy was actually appeared to be edited. They said that uh, images of cars and people appearing or vanishing on the road while the audio of uh, the police officer's voice proceeded without interruption. And so they were trying to explain that, and they said uh, the irregularities – irregularities, excuse me – in the video, resulted from technical issues that occurred when the video was posted. Then, DPS took down the, the problem video and replaced it with another version. So, in other words, as a backlash from from this from her wrongful death here, they posted this video, and it looked like it was doctored of the whole situation. But yes, it, it, reading this account, she was she was smoking a cigarette and the police officer told her to put it out. And he she said, This is this is a, why I in sitting in my car, what's wrong with the cigarette?
4: Well why does she have to
7: put it out? Well he and his his and for him he said, I'm giving you a lawful order. That's not breaking the law. No. I'm sitting in my car smoking my cigarette
4: and you and you <laughs> you so you don't like it, so you're gonna give me an wow. order. Well, number one, the officer's entire attitude from the time he pulled her over was aggressive uh period it was nothing nice from the beginning here uh and for what i saw uh, george it was something that you're just looking at this and you're seeing this woman getting dragged out of a car she has no weapon she is she's not a threat to you sitting in her car as you are stopping her give her the citation for changing lanes and move on that's, this is what the officer should have done. Here's the citation, ma'am. I noticed you didn't put your signal. I'm shocked you even stopped her. Because I guess what? Right. You know what? I, there are so many people driving on the roads. They're getting over in lanes on the highway. They're turn- there's a lot of signals not being used. And we understand driving 101, you use your signal. But why are you dragging this lady out of her car? ultimately and this is what's frustrating power she dies
10: well, you you somebody just mentioned the word power and that's just what I was going to say um and it happened in my unit as well these guards had all the power over my patients and they got every every chance they could use their power they did Uh, In fact, one of my most successful cases uh, was sabotage because three guards jumped on my patient who must have weighed 140 pounds wet. And these guards are like linebackers, like 250 pounds apiece. They slammed his head against the concrete floor, opened up a gash in his forehead that needed stitches, and from then on, he decompensated. And these guards just love the power, and they love to use it. And essentially, uh, think of them as, you know, 12-year-old bullies, big bullies who are uh, terrorizing the schoolyard. That's their mentality. Here's here's one of my pet peeves. In the Florida Department of Corrections, there's no – psychological testing for the guards. So all you need is a high school diploma, and they don't really know who they're, they're hiring. And if they took a, a psychological test like the uh, MMPI-2, which is a very long test, and it, it's very um, well-conceived, and it, it catches people who lie, and, and it would ferret out the, the sociopaths and psychopaths that end up uh, murdering these people and, and trying to you know, overpower them. And we, we would be much better off if they took this extra step, but very few uh, uh, corrections uh, uh, or even at the county level are administering this test to new hires. So it's no wonder they get the the people they get and uh, and the other thing too is a lot of these people um their base pay, their starting base pay is horrible. I think in Florida it was like thirty two thousand dollars I mean, nobody could really live on that, so is it any- any wonder that they're they're getting the bottom of the barrel when they when they pay so so low um and and then you know if we had better uh, guards, we would have fewer wrongful death type settlements of millions of dollars. Darren Rainey's family was awarded $4.5 million. You know, let's, let's have good guards and avoid these outcomes.
4: No, no, listen, George, that's exactly the truth of the matter. Uh, and that is the simple fact that, uh these are steps that can be taken. We say all the time, nothing can be done. You know, this is just the way it is. That's not just the way it is. And what you're right. saying are simple steps that people could take in order to try to find the solution. Major solution is you got people in here who got a God syndrome, God complex, if you will, that they act like they have life and death in their hands. And they are taking life without calls. that is the problem and, the, and well, you know what go ahead george
10: there there is there are nothing more than serial killers some of these guards that are that are in prison and another idea i came up with uh to speak to your issue about something getting done is the idea of taking the grievance process out of the mm-hmm. corrections organization. In other words, uh, in, in Florida, in the Florida Department of Corrections, inmates can file grievances against the food, the the clothing, and right. the guards. But what's happening is guards are skimming the grievances that uh, pertain to them. Then they turn around and re- retaliate against the inmates. So. Inmates are fearful of writing any kind of grievance. And so this is another way that there's no accountability. But if we put the grievance process um, in, into a, a, like a, a private uh, concern, like an oversight committee, and they, they are the ones who go by the prison, and it could be like, for example, Grievance Day, and they're, they're handing out the grievances – the guards are off to the side. I tell you what, these, these inmates would write a ton of grievances, and then we would really find out what's happening on the inside. Um, Julie Jones, I had a conversation. She's the secretary of the DOC for Florida. I had a conversation with her about three years ago, and I, and I told her, I said, listen, uh, grievances are being skimmed by guards. And she says, oh, no, no. We get sixty thousand grievances a year, so um, after I hung up with her, I did a little math. There are a hundred thousand inmates in the Florida system. Um, I did know uh, as a fact that sixty to seventy percent of all incarcerated people are functionally illiterate, okay, so keep following the math: thirty to forty thousand in Florida are literate, and there are only 60,000 grievances? Are you telling me 30,000 men and women who can write are sitting on the sidelines and writing an average of two grievances a year? It yes. made no sense to me when I did the math. So her, her claim that guards aren't skimming is completely false.
11: So, uh, George, there's only from, from what she told you, is i mean there's only there's only two two viable reasons uh why either the guards are skimming or the inmates are completely satisfied about what's going on in the prison their their living conditions their provisions as far as health care as far as uh you know toiletries and food how they're being treated so so either they're only sending two a year because they're just totally happy about their stay at whatever facility they're at, or somewhere the guards are that those grievances, if it's not the guards, then if she doesn't want to accept that, then she has to accept the the fact that the administration is taking those, the the uh you know, the facility administration is taking those and disposing of them she she has no other there is no other explanation so the so the prisoners are extremely happy or somebody is doing something with the paperwork there those are our only two explanations for the for the math that she gave you
10: yeah that's that's right and and the way it works is that in these uh prisons the the officer in classification that gets the grievances is in many cases, the girlfriend or boyfriend of the guard that's that's being written about. So the, the system is definitely uh, slanted in favor of the guards, and that's why I recommend an independent committee to take over the grievance process. And then I want to add one other element. In addition to grievances, they could also hand out what I would call a personal, a personnel appreciation form, like a PAS, so that the inmates could actually say, hey, you know, this guard here, Mr. Jones, you know, he, he does me a solid. He's got a great reputation. He tries to make sure everybody's got soap and so on. Let's give that guy a raise. That guy deserves a raise. And then the rest of these guys, they got to be put on probation, and if they don't shape up, they're out of there. And then, of course, there are the situations where inmates are detailing criminal activity like contraband rings and, and uh, you know, so on and so forth. And, of course, those guards, uh, you know, should be charged with a crime if possible.
4: No, absolutely, George. And I'll tell you what, do you have a few more minutes to come back with us? Uh, sure. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we're going to talk about a, a gentleman by the name of Marcellus Williams. Uh, that uh, he, we'll get into that, but uh, was on death row. Uh, clear from what I'm seeing on this article, evidence was there uh, convincing experts of his innocence over the death that he was, uh, the murder rather, that he was accused of. Uh, we're going to talk about that and get uh, your final perspective on some of the things we're doing tonight. Uh, I'm giving myself to your time, George, because I know uh, you probably worked a, a long day. So whenever you're ready to kind of uh, uh, go off, we'll definitely uh, excuse you and give you the opportunity to enjoy the rest of your evening. Okay.
10: Okay. I appreciate that.
4: Okay. Uh, on the other side of the break, folks, we're coming back. Voices from behind the wall, voices from the grave, the death problem in the criminal justice system of America it continues to spiral out of control. We'll be right back.
2: Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering A Just Cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call A Just Cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of
0: speech
7: or of the press or the right of the people peaceably
0: to assemble and to petition
6: the government
0: for a redress of grievances.
13: The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses and the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post 1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America.
14: When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life.
4: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, uh, no exception to that uh, rule, that as we begin to continue our series on Voices from Behind the Wall, we are addressing people that are dying, voices from the grave, if you will, and those that have suffered horrendous, horrific excuse me, deaths uh, behind the wall of county jails, prisons, uh, uh, really unexplained. Doesn't make a lot of sense. We're digging into that conversation tonight, uh, and we're so happy tonight to have George George Malincrot who's who's joined us, uh, and he's given a really clear perspective uh, from his viewpoint of of what uh, is actually uh, going on. And, and George, thank you so much for coming back with us uh, after such a busy day of doing what you do. We appreciate you so much.
10: Thank you. It's it's really great to be on.
4: Okay, we appreciate that and. Uh, these these issues continue to puzzle me. Uh, uh, you know, I've never seen nothing like this, uh, and the, un- the the callous will uh, mentality of people that and, and my understanding was with Mr. Rainey, uh, the guards as he died laughed at him, was mocking him, making fun because he was screaming for his life. I don't understand. I cannot wrap my hands around that. How is that even possible that loved ones of millions of Americans across this country are subjected to this type of treatment uh, and mocking and cruel behavior by, by correctional officers and wardens that sit back in their offices and uh, eat muffins and drink coffee and not even aware if maybe not, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they are, maybe they're not aware of what, but they are responsible to be aware of what's going on at a facility in which they lead. Uh, George, this is this is really troubling. And we, when we talk about a few cases here, uh, going back and forth, you're blown away by one or two cases of stories. I mean, Mr. Rainey's story shook me for days because in my mind, all I could see was was this man in a shower, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 180 degrees, screaming. Yeah. I I, I don't understand. I don't understand because I promise you if I take somebody to my house, put them in a shower, lock them in the room, I'm going to be charged with kidnapping, which is a minimum of 10 years. Each room I move that person to is 10 years in the state of Colorado per move. I can move you from the dining room to the kitchen. That's an additional 10 years. And I can guarantee you if I kill somebody in my house in a shower and they die, they're going to come and arrest me. I'm going I'm going to jail. That message is not sent to officers because they continue to do it like you said George most of these cases end with no type of indictment or accountability
5: is that correct
10: yeah that's that's what we're seeing and um the the Miami Herald uh, did a series um uh, I I stepped forward in the second article and from there it just really took off but they they had a, uh cataloged at least 17 suspicious deaths. And as far as I know, no charges have been filed in any of them. Uh, They were supposed to be investigated, but, you know, no one's heard of any conclusions. Um, But uh, behind all of uh, this is the fact that sadistic psychopaths and sociopaths are working in our prison system and there's no effort to weed these people out. And then you have administrators just looking the other way. And, you know, I think that your logic is irrefutable. If this happened in somebody's home, um, there would be charges. But because it happens in prison and um, they can conceal most of what goes on we're we're just going to continue to see this brutality i and there's there seems to be no political will on uh, on behalf of our legislators to change things and a, and a lot of these legislators are getting campaign contributions from the private prison companies and companies that supply the prisons with food and and in my case mental health care and medical care like Horizon and Wexford uh and so these there's no incentive for politicians to do much of anything when it comes to prisons and and that's a nationwide phenomenon and of course there are isolated examples for example uh in the Cook County jail there they have a psychologist as the head of the jails there, which is unheard of. And she's trying to institute um, treatment protocols for the mentally ill because um, they realize that so many mentally ill people are coming to prison that they really have to step up their game. But unfortunately this is just one organization that's trying to do the right thing but there are just so many others that, that are just business as usual. We've been doing this since the 40s, uh, you know, for 100 years. We're not changing anything. And so what we end up with are these suspicious deaths that weigh so heavily on us or, or people like you and, and me who actually care.
4: Yeah, yes. That's actually the truth, George. Uh, it's, it's really saddening. And I, I talked earlier about the culture. Uh, this starts all the way at the top. I want to share this story with you. June 21st, 2018, early one morning in April t- 2016, Linda Reza was at work at a fabric sample factory in Ontario, California, when she got a call from an unknown number. She wasn't supposed to use her phone at work, so she slipped out to the bathroom to check her voicemail. Yes, hello, this message is for Linda Reza, and this is the vo- what the voicemail said. Uh, this is uh, Linda Reza's stepmother of inmate Roca Erica. Uh, here at California Institution for Women, said the caller, who identified himself as lieutenant at the, uh, at the Chino, California prison. It is imperative mm-hmm. that you contact the facility as soon as possible. We have some information uh, relative to your stepdaughter's demise. Before hanging up, the man added, we're deeply sorry, ma'am, you have our extended sympathy for your loss. Reza was floored. This was the first she had heard about her stepdaughter's death crying and in shock she dialed the number back the lieutenant answered and told her that guards had found uh, roca the night before hanging in her cell the voicemail is traumatizing reza said in a recent interview though she can't bring herself to delete the message i still find myself driving home from work at times crying pissed off and i think through a voicemail really through a voicemail
10: george that's that's uh pretty pathetic um And one thing I want to put out there to anybody who's listening who has loved ones uh, behind the fences, if anything, God forbid, happens to them, do not take the word of the local county coroner. Go get yourself a private autopsy. And even if you're low on funds, reach out to people because – I tell you what, in, in Florida, when private autopsies have been done, and uh, this harkens back to Latondra Ellington, a 34-year-old mother of four who was fine one day and then the next day she's dead, um, the county coroner found nothing wrong. Like, uh, she just died, uh, you, know, you know, really kind of unclear. Well, the family coroner found blunt force trauma to her abdomen, and the county coroner just conveniently glossed that over. So that's just a little something I want to put out there for, for uh, uh, people uh, like you described. And, and that mother, I hope she didn't get that lying down. And that she she did get an autopsy because that's a suspicious death in my book.
4: Oh absolutely. And and the fact that on, on what you're talking about, George, with the uh the, the lady who had forced trauma to the stomach, right? Uh, right. which means like, that 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 hit that uh impact could have easily killed her.
10: And it, it probably did because she was either the, the a family's coroner concluded that she was either punched or kicked in the stomach, and you can you can rupture um, uh, an intestine or or uh, have a uh, an abdominal um, hemorrhage of some
4: sort. That's this is something else. Uh, another example: Tanisha Anderson, Cleveland woman. Tanisha Anderson. 37 years of age, died last November after police restrained her in a prone position. Her family called the police after Anderson, who suffered from bipolar disorder, started behaving erratically. They hoped police would take her to a mental health facility. After she broke out of the police cruiser, officers restrained her on the ground in a prone position, which led to her death. According to the AAPF report, Anderson's family was not allowed to approach her. Or comfort her as she lay dying in the cold outside her home. The medical examiner ruled her death a homicide. Thirty-seven, thirty-seven years old.
10: And these, yeah. stories... go ahead, George. Yeah, these types of incidences are happening on a regular basis. Uh, the there are a lot of families. I mean, I I, I can tell you about two or three stories that happened recently here in Florida where the family calls up concerned about their relatives who's having a psychotic episode, They're like hoping the police can deal with it. But what happens is these police are not trained in how to deescalate a situation to talk uh, somebody's down who's suffering from schizophrenia or, or or is delusional and the police in these cases that that go really bad they're all about control we've got to control the situation no matter what we yell at the uh person and we restrain them if they resist we throw them on the ground and and then it just gets worse when in fact um and this, this is something that's happened in Dade County as part of a program instituted by Judge Steve Leifman where every police officer in Dade County is supposed to have crisis intervention training. So this is a program that other counties and states are looking at because what happens is when um, police officers are trained well They de-escalate the situation. Um, Deaths are uh, much reduced from the police, you know, intervention. And then these people can actually be taken to a mental health facility where they can be stabilized. So um, police officers who just go with force all the time, um, they're the ones that are killing the mentally ill and you know whether they're just out and out shooting them or putting them in a headlock or 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 whatever um, they're just not trained to handle the situation properly
4: and that's unacceptable that's yeah. unac- what are you even doing behind the wall if you're not trained to do your job that that is something that it's just very very troubling um, yeah This next story comes about Natasha McKenna. McKenna died after she was tased by police while she was shackled in a Virginia jail in February. McKenna, who had a seven-year-old daughter and suffered from schizophrenia, had allegedly punched a cop in January and was jailed on charges of assaulting a police officer. She was originally held in a mental health facility, then transferred to county jail. She was kept in jail for over a week as officials tried to get her the mental health care she needed uh but they ultimately realized they would have to move her to a different jurisdiction in order to get her psychiatric care according to incident reports obtained by the washington post mckenna became agitated after jailers handcuffed her to prepare her for the move and started yelling you promise you wouldn't hurt me it took response team 20 minutes to subdue mckenna according to the report and they shackled her legs And hands behind her back and put a spit mask on her face when they still couldn't get her under control, even though McKenna was only 130 pounds. They tased Uh her. They tased her multiple times with a stun gun. Her heart stopped and she died in the hospital five days later. Her mother took photos of her body, which showed black eyes, bruises and a missing uh, amputated finger that's how her mother found her little girl that's,
10: that is that's appalling go ahead george i you know i'm i'm hearing more and more about the mishandling of the mentally ill whether it's in prison jail or uh uh, uh traffic intervention or i mean there's so many uh instances of this the you would think that they would figure it out by now that they've got to have a better way of handling the mentally ill and the it's it's well known at this point that our jails and prisons are the de facto mental institutions of our society now except that the mental health treatment is non-existent in many, many cases, in most cases, probably. And when there is some sort of mental health treatment, it's substandard. It's not enough. Right. So, right. you know, we, we've got to step up our game as a nation, but the other thing too is we need to keep the mentally ill out of jail and prison in the first place. And that. Um, addresses another pet peeve of mine is the fact that so many people are slipping through the cracks because there's no mental health intervention early in a person's life. And what I advocate is programs of intervention in our school system starting in elementary school because teachers are being, you know, the oddball kid, you know, and if that kid is suffering from mental illness and it goes untreated, the longer it goes untreated, the poorer the outcomes. So let's spend the money early and we can treat these human beings at a fraction of the cost it, it takes to treat them in jail or prison. It's logical it would save uh, the states and our country a lot of money. It's just that our legislators don't think like that. And it comes back down to uh, money. And, you know, if, if uh, I could donate a billion dollars to legislators and say, you know, I want mental health intervention in our elementary schools, I would get it. Yes, I, don't, I don't have the money, and, and um, you know, um, the people that are concerned about this don't have the money either to lobby legislators. And so we're kind of stuck in this holding pattern where it's taken um, years and years to get any mental health treatment at all in some cases for uh, yep. inmates.
4: And, and, George, we're going to be doing a show next Tuesday Voices from behind the wall. We hear the voices of the mentally ill. Their stories. We're going to be doing that on Tuesday. You're welcome to join us back if you're available for that show, uh, because we'll be focusing on the abuse of the mentally ill. Uh, And you just touched touched on it in a very, very positive, in a very good way uh, that our listeners will understand. Uh, And and that's a simple invitation to you if you'd like to do that. I think you can probably bring some insight to that. But you're welcome to join us for that show. It's going to be one uh, humdinger there. Uh, Brian Terrell. Go ahead. I'm sorry, George. Go ahead.
10: No, I was going to say uh, I'll, I'll definitely try to join you next Tuesday. Um, I'll reach out and let you guys know if I can.
4: Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, Brian Terrell of Georgia, convicted 1995, was executed in 2015. Just before 1 a.m. on December 9, 2015, George, uh, Georgia executed Brian Terrell. It took a nurse nearly an hour to find a vein for the lethal injection IV. And as the execution drug was being administered, Terrell mouthed the words, didn't do it. His lawyers argued that no physical evidence leaked Terrell to the murder and that his conviction and death sentence were the product of prosecution, prosecutorial misconduct and false and misleading testimony. Physical evidence from the crime scene leaves substantial questions as to Terrell's guilt. Footprints found in the victim's body were smaller than Terrell's feet and none of the 13 fingerprints found by investigators matched his fingerprints georgia tried to rail three times the first trial ended in a mistrial when jurors could not agree on whether he was guilty the second resulted in a conviction that was later overturned by the georgia supreme court the third trial concluded with a conviction and a death sentence the key testimony against Terrell came from his cousin jermaine johnson uh, a witness whom defense investigators say later admitted to having lied to save himself Johnson spent a year in jail facing the threat of death penalty before he made a deal with prosecutors to testify against Terrell in exchange for a five-year sentence. Johnson told defense investigators that police and prosecutors had pressured him into giving false testimony against his cousin. Terrell's lawyers argued that prosecutors also presented misleading testimony, suggesting that a neighbor had seen Terrell at the murder scene when in fact she had told authorities that he was not the man she had seen. At Terrell's trial, the prosecutor emphasized the importance of Johnson's testimony, saying during his closing statement, if you never heard anything about Jermaine Johnson in this case, if he had never testified, would you have enough information to make a decision in this case? You wouldn't. Uh, It doesn't get more tragic than that. How are you tried three times? Three times. Number one, you were tried once mistrial you tried again convicted but the case overturned by the mm-hmm. by the Supreme Court of Georgia what why are you going? and you then you come back again that something needs to be changed about that as far as being able to try it. and I know if you're convicted double jeopardy is attached
3: mm-hmm.
4: yeah, so you can't be charged for the same crime twice however or if he's I'm sorry or if he's found not guilty You can't come back if a jury finds him not guilty and say, we're going to try you again. I know that's where double jeopardy is. But this, I I don't know the handwriting on the wall to this level, three times, and you have fingerprints that not one fingerprint matches Terrell at the scene? How is that overlooked, and how does a judge sitting on a bench not say to the jurors, thank you for your service, but I'm setting aside this verdict? For in, in the in the interests of justice.
6: Well, Lamont, I mean, to me, it just seems like the you know you hear about the old school Gestapo tactics that are that were used. I mean, it's just modern day implementation of it. You know, they they have somebody that they picked out for whatever reason. They target these individuals and they do whatever it takes to to get them out of the way, to kill them, to do whatever. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at an article right here. In the last 45 years, only 10 percent of death row personnel. Resulted in exonerations That means 90% of the people that were put on death row Were executed and I, I would Fair to wager That probably more than half of those Don't even deserve to be there as well George your thoughts
10: On that I, You know in, in The research um, that I did For my book I came across So many stories like that Where um, the uh, The Prosecutor had it in for the defendant and uh, evidence was manipulated. Evidence was lost. People lied. um, And it's, this is something that's, that's pretty common. And you, you, it it boggles the imagination that that we uh, can't do this better um, and make sure that the people who have actually committed crimes are convicted and punished. Um, but you know, to, to see this happening over and over again, and then, it, then once they, you know, in this case, essentially murder the man, um, there's no coming back from that.
4: Exactly. You
10: and, and, you know, and yeah, go ahead.
11: No, I was going to say George that in this, in this inst- instance, this is a perfect in- example where it is incumbent upon the judge to say, you know, enough is enough. You try this man, you get a hung jury, then you try him again. You get it re- overturned by the Supreme court. Let this man go on with his life. He must not be guilty. You have no evidence. Then you come right. in with one lying witness that's uh, state evidence and try to trying to save himself there is no evidence that this man was anywhere near this crime. So you have to take, uh, you know, everybody has to look at what their role is in these situations and the public has to, you know, give accountability where it's due because in this event, sure, the prosecutor is, I mean, this is a, a vindictive prosecutor. There, There's nothing else to say except this prosecutor had it out for this man. Well, when does a judge step in and say, hey, as a judge, I am going to judge this situation. You need to let this go. And you can go to the Supreme Court to argue if you have the right to try this man again. Uh, You can you can argue me down at the Supreme Court. And see if you can if you can get a uh the Supreme Court to overturn the judge's uh you know moral issue with the fact that they keep bringing this man back. But I think that is incumbent in this situation for a judge to step in and say, "Look, it's time to stop. You have no evidence. The question is asked without this witness that obviously is telling the lie, you cannot convict this man." This has to be thrown out uh, by a judge. Otherwise, you have a situation like this that you have a man dead and anyone who looks at this situation says, you know, this is a railroading of an innocent person. And now uh, a murder of an innocent murder, I mean, an innocent person that uh, and the and the worst part. Well, another bad part about this situation is that the actual murderer is still out there on the loose in this situation. Exactly,
10: exactly. And here's another point. You mentioned the state of Georgia. Uh, Now, I'm sure there are a lot of fine judges in Georgia, but then there's some like Roy Moore, who was a a creep by anybody's account, a a scumbag. And this guy's sitting on the bench? You know, how many other of these judges, these types of judges are in, in these states? And they're just looking to um, hurt somebody because maybe they don't have the same skin color. So sure. um, you've got to look at that as, as well. Um, and, you know, then when it comes to judges and, and bad judges, there's very little accountability there, too. I mean, a judge basically has to murder his wife uh, to get thrown off the bench.
4: Yeah, that's um, – and and it's true, George. This situation and what we're talking about tonight, I mean, we haven't got gotten to half of the information because that's how much information, that's how much uh, injustice is happening in this country. And you sit here and you hear story after story, death after death. And we sit back as a society and we accept this and not speak out against it. Something is wrong with an individual because you have to speak out against this stuff. And the more people, that's why that's why it was so fittingly called "Voices of, uh, from the Grave." These people dying. The man is on death row saying, "I didn't do it," and the evidence yeah. supported. The evidence supported. And why he's saying that. You're still injecting him with lethal injection to take his life. This is the sickest yeah. thing I have ever heard, George.
10: Well, uh, for me personally, I, I oppose the death penalty uh, for a couple of reasons. I don't think it's a deterrent. Uh, it, it's really only a bargaining tool. And then the second reason and perhaps the most important is informed by my work within a prison system. And I've told people, i said, if, if one of my relatives was brutally murdered and the, the guy, the man or, or woman committed the crime, I'd rather see them in prison the rest of their lives than to be executed. Just my opinion, but if, if that's the case, and somebody innocent has been con- convicted, at least they get a chance at getting out. Uh, but, you know, when they're dead, it's over.
4: It's completely over. And, uh, George, let me first thank you uh, formally for your insight on this conversation tonight. Again, out of respect for your time and the time difference there uh, uh, in Florida, uh, let me say um, we're honored to have you on this show uh, thank as you. a as a person who cares and has a passion for justice. You always will have a friend here, an ally, if you will, uh, here at AJC Radio and the Just Cause organization. I thank you again for taking your time this evening uh, to spend with us, to inform our listeners uh, and to give your perspective uh, on this very troubling uh, conversation. But we, we are confident uh, as we continue to expose this, these things, as we do our work, you do yours, and others around the country begin to get involved, uh, it is our hope and our belief that change hopefully will come uh, as a result of what we're doing and what you're doing. We appreciate you so much for taking time. How can folks get a hold of you if they want to talk to you, if they want to get your book for sure, uh, uh, getting away with murder? Uh, folks, definitely, ladies and gentlemen, go out and get that, that read. Uh, George is going to tell you now how to get that. George, how do they get a hold of that book, and how do they get a hold of you if they need to?
10: Um, The best way to get the book is just to go on Amazon. Um, It's called Getting Away With Murder, Uh, not to be confused with another title by the same name that deals with Emmett Till. Um, And then the way they can get to uh, reach out to contact me is through my website, and that's easy to remember. It's getting away with war- getting away with murder. One word. Dot org. Okay.
4: Okay, George. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, hopefully, we'll uh, talk again as far as the Tuesday show. Uh, that's going to be probably just as horrific, uh, but necessary. To you got to have these conversations, and uh, until we ex- until we expose these things. Folks will just feel comfortable to continue to fill body bags up in this country behind the wall, and we're going to deal with those issues. Thank you so much, and uh, enjoy again the rest of your evening, George. We appreciate it.
10: You're welcome, and it was great to be on tonight.
4: Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. And there you have it. A lot of insight there from George Mallinckrodt, who is uh, probably one of the the most passionate people in what he – Uh, does standing against injustice and and we appreciate his uh perspective william has brought a lot of insight to this show uh and uh well appreciated your thoughts on on george
7: absolutely i think one of the points that he brought up was you know these these officers they have no real background you know they 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 don't know how or what they're facing they basically you know had Face some kind of career change or something along those lines. So basically, they don't have a, a history or foundation that allows them to deal or interact with people. And I think that was really, you know, really important because if you don't know how to handle people um, and have some kind of level of patience or being taught, you can't just you know make a career change and and just say, hey, one day I'm going to be a police officer. You may not have the the disposition for that.
4: You well, know? well, here's the issue though. And I agree with George's position on that, and I understand that point. One thing is for certain, without any training, I know not to lock a man in his shower and laugh as he dies. Yes. I don't need training for that. That's called being a human being. I don't need training to know when I'm beating a man to death on a cement floor and, and pounding his head on the floor to kill him. I don't need any education to know that's wrong. I don't. I don't need anything. And look, how they in the in the meeting they're talking about the guy was scared. They they said we're scared. But then what are you doing in the job?
7: Well, and that's the thing. The training would would reveal those kind of flaws. You know, if, if the officer's first first reaction is to his gun instead of his taser, or, or his, you know, I mean, there's other ways. If there's other
5: deterrents. But he, the, did, per- he did talk about accountability too. So. Uh, you got to hold these guards. You, you got to hold these people accountable. There has to be uh, a repercussion of some sort. Either uh, if you kill somebody, guess what? Now you're on charges for homicide or that's, murder. Th- that's the bottom line. You see line. what I'm saying? Yep. Or if, if if you did something wrong, you, you're going to pay the price no matter what it is. But, but and, that's and, what we have to have in the, in our prisons. No, accountability. Dennis,
4: Dennis, that's exactly right. And William, you're right in your point. We need training. We need to train guards and officers that these are human beings. But the culture no, is absolutely. so embedded to hate and to have no regard for those folks coming in those doors. That culture is very hard to break.
7: You're absolutely right. I mean, that is that is, what is even goes to the point that Cliff had made earlier in the show that the, you know, the acceptance of, of a death. No, we don't have a problem.
3: no big deal. It's no
7: big deal. That That is a culture that says that this is an acceptable behavior that, you know, uh, we had how many deaths this year? If you had one, that's too many. But they are allowing themselves, you know, this margin. This is how they see things. This is how they see and value human life. It has no value to them. They don't care.
6: Awesome. Yeah, and I think it goes to the point, too, what George is saying about, you know, the training and everything that's crucial with these guards before you know they're allowed to take these positions like some mental evaluation you know you have to find out where these guys heads are at because he's talking about a lot of them has soci- uh, sociopath and uh, homicidal tendencies just because you know of of their mental disposition you know they were talking about like ged high school education that's required and, i mean these are guys that they go in there they know the mentality already from what they've uh, seen on the news and they go in there and they have this god complex you can't have that in an institution that says, says that they're there to rehabilitate people, you can't have somebody that's in there with a predator mentality and expect for any good to come out of that situation at all. Well, the system
4: is broke from the top down because you're paying these folks $14 an hour. <laughs> yeah. You're paying these folks about yeah. 14 bucks yeah. an hour. That's and true. And that's true. when I was uh, wrongfully convicted and in, in prison, the guards said, man, I make about 10 50 an hour. So to be bribed by a honey bun, a cake. Hey, don't shake us down tonight, man. There's some strawberry cakes in my box. They take the cakes. Thanks, Banks. All right, we're good. Sign off. If they're doing it for that.
7: Come on. That's that's sad. If you're doing
4: it for that, what else would you do? It may seem simple, Mm -hmm. but if an inmate can bribe you with a honey bun that you have access to, as soon as you leave the grounds at a local Seven Eleven, or a come and go. How can I influence your decision by giving you a honey bun off the of commissary?
6: Oh, I mean, the DOJ and the and the Bureau of Prisons. I mean, they're they're truthfully they're getting what they pay for. Yes. I mean, what it all comes down to. I mean, yes. truthfully, I mean we do, we do need to, we do we definitely need reform as far as how these prisoners are. Uh, being treated and, and you know the situations that go through. But I mean, again, reform has to come on every, side. We, every can't, side. we can't just have, you know, uh all this reform of how the the prisoners are being treated. But yeah, the guards they need to be paid more? Absolutely. To to try and weed out, you know, any uh bribery, anything else like that. But they also need not just talking about ways, but I'm talking about training. We're talking about everything, you know. And like you said, it does it has to start at the top it really does it has to be reformed
4: because if the warden over that facility what the warden says is law if he will enforce human dignity and decency at that at that prison that's exactly what it would be and i will tell you the warden has the power to set whatever culture he chooses to set whatever environment he chooses to set he has the authority to do it and they will they will come to grips with this this is why You have to question the conduct of the Wharton, of the lieutenant, the A.W.s, the captains, the majors, and they all come in those ranks in the penitentiary. Where are the leaders at? That if I got an empty and and the sheriff, Noel, out of Indiana, who was on this show before, uh, did the A&E show. uh, And I I forget the title, but he was the architect, if you will. Of That came on the show and said he had to clean the county jail out He fired a lot of people where there was corruption at and he he mixed he did not mix his words He said I had to do it because I couldn't have my jail Corrupted like that So as a as a sheriff of a, of a county jail as a warden of a prison You have the authority you have the power To implement whatever change you choose So if this trend continues to go on and on someone is allowing it and you are equally as complicit in the deaths of these men these women when you sit back and do and say nothing to change that culture you should be charged with a accessory to the crime of murder and if somebody takes their life because you have failed on your watch to do your job You should be held accountable because you're equally, in my opinion, as complicit
5: to the crime.
4: Your thoughts, Dennis?
5: I agree. Again, like I spoke earlier, accountability. I mean, that's, I I think that's missing uh, uh, in this United States of America, period. But in our justice system, uh, if we can't hold a prosecutor accountable, if we can't hold a judge accountable, if we can't hold a, a, you know, the prison guard accountable, if we can't. Hold anyone. If, if there are no consequences and I mean consequences, I'm not talking a slap on the hand. I'm talking loss of job. I'm talking imprisonment. I'm talking all these things that are, that are happening to the prisoners that that are there now. I mean, until we say enough is enough and, and, and the American people, when you get out there and vote, make sure you vote for those that are about reform, because if they're, if they're all about, Uh, tough on crime. Don't get me wrong. We need to be tough on crime, but we need to do it right. Everybody should be held accountable. No one should be above the law.
4: Absolutely right. Let's go to a clip. We'll talk about it on the other side of it.
8: He purposely uh, sat down. He sat down he's on the floor. Y'all help him up to his feet. At this time, we're going to just my sister in this room. Into his cell. What cell do we got left? Stand up. Ties of Boston, 1624. We had a use of force on the offender. What's his name? Daddy. Daddy. Dad. <laughs> offender Michael Stanley. Mm-hmm. And J-Card, wait exactly happened again. If you notice, the Pied side of all the back of the J-Hard, I'm going to shut the door. Okay. Defender was being escorted back to this Pied by Officer Brown through J-Hard by door. Be excuse. Was-
4: There you have it. Um, tragic. Tragic. The man is begging for his life. And his fear has gripped this man to the point he's apologizing for something he didn't do wrong. He asked for help. And they killed him. Voices from behind the wall. those that have died states here a man being getting ready to be executed he says you're not about to witness an execution you're about to witness a murder I am strapped down for something Marcus Rhodes did I never killed anybody ever I love you mom I love you Tally this is wrong the whole thing is just wrong I can't believe you're going to let Marcus Rhodes walk around free Justice has let me down. Somebody completely screwed this up. I love you too, Mom. Well, Warden, if you're going to murder someone, go ahead and do it. Pull the trigger. It's coming. I can feel it's coming. Goodbye. Executed and maintained his innocence. Frank writes, I owe no apologies for a crime I did not commit. Those who lied and fabricated evidence against me will have to answer for what they have done. I know in my heart what I did, and I call upon the spirit of my ancestors and all of my people, and I swear to them, and now I'm coming home.
5: These are words of those who are strapped
4: down to a table. God said you're you're witnessing a murder This is not protocol of an execution It is a murder (sighs) Hard conversation to have But we're going to have it And we will continue To crowd against this injustice One man writes, Anthony, I want you to know that I did not kill anyone. I love you all dead. And it goes on and on and on and on. We will be their voices. Alive or dead, we will be the voice of those that have suffered injustice behind the wall. Samson, your thoughts.
6: I mean, just hearing you read some of the comments that um, these individuals made. I mean, if you have any shred of human decency inside you, you can't help but just connect on an emotional level with that. I mean, here these people are. They they've they've suffered the cruelest of environments. They've gone through you know uh, day after day, week after week, years upon years of cruelty behind a wall, only to be strapped down and murdered as as the young man said for something that they never did and he even he even named he even named the individual you're gonna let this guy walk around free while you're sitting here and you're gonna murder me because because of what for someone's agenda for someone you know just trying to railroad a person um falsifying evidence working in collusion with godly knows who and here this man is he says you know what you know I'm, he, he says to the individuals in his life how much he loves them, reassures them of that. And he, and he 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 bears it, his soul to God, saying like I know, and I'm about to go on, but these people are gonna have to answer for what they do. And oh, right. and God, I only hope, I only hope that he had peace in those final moments of his, because it's it, that right there is heart wrenching. An individual had to go through that. No, absolutely right. And man,
4: states here. Leo Jones of Florida, convicted in 1981, was executed in 1998. Jones was convicted of murdering a police officer in Jacksonville, Florida. Jones signed a confession after several hours of police interrogation, but he later claimed the confession was coerced. In the mid 1980s, the policeman who arrested Jones and the detective who took his confession were forced out of uniform for ethical violations. The policeman was later identified by a fellow officer as an enforcer who had used torture. Many witnesses came forward pointing to another suspect in the case. So you have not all, but the bad cops here used torture tactics to secure a confession. And this man was executed.
5: In 1998, see, see that alone—that alone should have exonerated. Period. Period. I mean, just 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 that should have said, okay, something could have happened. I mean, and and that's the that's the problem. That in lieu of all these exonerations, you would think, I mean, just five people that were on death row being exonerated should say we got a problem. And.
4: That's exactly right. And I'll tell you what, we have not again, we have not begun to scratch the surface. So there's no way to tell how many of the more than 1470 people executed since 1976 may also have been innocent. Courts do not generally entertain claims of innocence when the defendant is dead. Defense attorneys move on to other cases where clients' lives can still be saved. Voices from behind the wall continues. Next week, until next time America, let your voice be heard and cry out against this injustice voices from behind the wall voices from the grave we'll see you next time good night
15: welcome to world's best videos we've compiled the list of the craziest prison abuse stories let's get into it psychological abuse Richard Mayer was locked up in Dade Correctional Institute mental health of September 2013 Mera hung himself. In his suicide note, he accused prison guards of punishing inmates with starvation. The officers also forced them to fight and place bets on the winners. Mera also claimed sexual assaults by prison employees. He said that one asked Mera to strip out of his clothes and touch himself in exchange for cigarettes. Mera had been raped in the past. In his suicide note, he claimed that the officer also knew it. Mayor suggested that he was in the mental health unit to get help for depression and suicidal tendencies, all of which were worsened by recent sexual assault. He was slammed against the wall when he refused to get advice from the lieutenant, then told to keep his mouth shut, ignoring cries for help. Rick Martin was incarcerated in Florida's Santa Rosa Correctional Institution. After a few hours, prison workers forced Martin into a cell with an inmate known for getting into violent altercations with others, he was found dead. In March 2012, guards had found Rick beaten to a pulp. He was found with the skull smash and his body was black and blue. Apparently, he had been restrained and strangled with ribbons of torn fabric. The scrubs that Martin wore were soaked in blood and pulled over his head, maybe indicating rape. He begged to be moved to a new cell out of fear for his life there were witnesses at the report hearing the screams and the thuds. There's evidence that the inmate Sean Jigaman Rogers had used a sock stuffed with batteries. The same witnesses recall that Rogers had jumped on Martin's head multiple times, smashing it into the concrete floor. Despite their repeated cries for help, the prison staff failed to respond until it was too late. Inmates pleaded with officers to assist Martin during the attack. Video taking during the incident shows a guard glancing inside the cell during the attack, but ultimately refusing to come to Martin's aid. Scalding showers. It all started with the shower. In 2012, Darren Rainey, who was schizophrenic, had defecated in the cell. Harriet Kurkowski, a former counselor at the Dade Correctional Institution, asked the guard how they were going to deal with Rainey. The guard calmly assured her, oh, don't worry, we'll put him in the shower. The counselor thought it was a good thing. Krakowski learned that the guards had locked Rainey in a small stall and showered him by force with a hose. Only the guards, not Rainey, were able to control the water temperature. Prison authorities boiled Darren Rainey to death when they were forced him to take a two-hour shower in scalding water that was 82 degrees Celsius. The water was hot enough to cook ramen soup. Due to the shower was so small, there was nothing Rainey could do to escape the scalding water. Inmates reported that Rainey had screamed for help during the two-hour torture session. Rainey, who was serving a sentence for cocaine possession and non-violent offense, was cooked like a lobster. According to Rainey's fellow inmates, Rainey was not the first person who had been locked in the shower under these conditions. However, he was the first to die.